1 Kings chapter number 17 tonight. And uh, I told you this morning that if the Lord would allow us to, we want to begin a short three-part series tonight. Uh, and if, if things go as we plan, I always try to caution and preface and qualify everything I, I say by saying if things go according to plan. Amen. But uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see three separate instances of the power of God in the life of Elijah and those that are around him. In all three of these instances, it looks like God has really dropped the ball. But we'll find this to be true. God never fails at anything that He does. He doeth all things well. And there's times when it looks like God has failed. But if we look a little closer, we'll find out that He's always got something in the works. And He's always in control. As we look at this chapter, we'll find, first off, the drying up of a brook that God promised would sustain Elijah. Then we'll see that God sends Elijah to a widow in Zarephath. And He's commanded that widow to sustain Elijah. The only problem is she can't even sustain herself. And uh, I tell you, if there's ever a picture of the way that God's economy works, it's right there. You think about in most churches, and uh, Brother Larry can tell you this truth, that uh, when you look at church money and church giving, there's times you don't know where it comes from. And uh, God is sometimes using people that can barely sustain themselves to sustain the work of God. But He's got a way to keep the oil from running out and to keep the meal from running short. Amen? And He's got a way of doing that. And then as Elijah is ministering and living in this woman's house, we find that this woman's son dies. And so over the next three weeks, I want us to look at those episodes and see what we can learn from them about God's will and how God works in our lives. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Let's pray together. Lord, we do praise you tonight. We give you glory for what you've done in our hearts and lives, Lord, today and this past week. And Father, we just ask that you'd help us as we approach your word this evening to approach it with the right attitude, and Lord, to draw from it the things that would draw us closer to you. Lord, accomplish in us your will, and we'll be sure to thank you for it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as you read this passage, something you're going to find, or I found it very striking as I read it, is that the very brook that God commanded Elijah to drink of is the very brook that dried up. God had a plan, and God had provision for Elijah's life. But we come to a place where it seems that God's provision has been disrupted. Now, have you ever had a time like that in your life when it seemed like the bills just kept coming 
and you had more month left than you had paycheck left. Now, some folks say, well, that's silly to preach on those things, preacher. It's just money. Well, that's what people with money say. Amen? But when you're in that condition, it's not just a matter of the money. It's not just a matter of the bills being met. But it's a matter of the promises of God and His faithfulness to you. And we approach times in our life when it seems as though things are growing lean. It seems as though doors are shutting more than they're opening. And our faith is tested whether we really believe God cares for His own. God has commanded Elijah to go into the palace of Ahab to declare according to the Lord's Word that it would not rain until the Lord said it would rain. We find the conclusion of this. We preached on it this morning in the very next chapter. But for three and a half excruciating years, rain did not fall upon that part of the world. The crops dried up. The uh, cattle seemed to be dying. The livestock was dying off. And it seemed as though God, who had always promised He would provide for His people, had dropped the ball and had messed up. And they had a choice that they must make as to whether they would turn to the Lord or not. I want you to notice a few things this evening, and I'm going to try to be brief as I can be. I want us to look first off at the prophet's obedience that we find in this passage. You know, sometimes hard times come in our life because we're not obeying the Lord. Have you ever experienced that? I have. That's what we call chastisement. Every son whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. I'd be more worried if God didn't chase me than I would if He did chasten me. Because when He chastens me, it tells me that He loves me. When I was a little boy, I didn't understand that the hardest thing that my daddy had to do was to give us whippings when we did something wrong. But I understand more as a father than I ever have that when He did those things, He didn't do it because He wanted to. He didn't do it because He enjoyed it. But He did it because He loved us and we needed it. God the Father is no different. He chastens us because He loves us. And sometimes when we have sin in our life, we find that God must chasten us. But as we look at the life of Elijah, it's not one marked by open, really, or inward sin. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. That means that he messed up. That means he made mistakes. That means that he had to battle his flesh, just like you and I have to battle our flesh. But there seems to be no overwhelming stain upon the testimony of Elijah. We know about his discouragement. We know about him wanting to quit and to give up. And most of us, if you've ever served God, you've got a few juniper trees in your backyard too. But Elijah is not a man that is living out of the will of God. In fact, Elijah is a man that to his knowledge is the only person doing something for God. Now, God would reveal to him that he had many that had not bowed the knee to Baal in Israel. But in Elijah's mind and to his understanding, he stands alone as a solitary fortress against the influence of Baal worship. And so imagine the discouragement he must have experienced when this brook dried up. In fact, we find three things about his life that I think are pretty interesting in this passage. We don't really know nothing about Elijah. Uh, We know that he was uh, a Tishbite. We don't know anything about Tishbites except Elijah was one and that he was an inhabitant of Gilead. We know that he was a hairy man, so we know he was a handsome man. Somebody say amen to that. We don't really know anything about Elijah, but we understand from the few verses that we've read a few things. I want you to notice, first off, that this was a man that was led by the Word of God. Notice the phrase used in verse number 5. The Bible says, "...so he went and did according to the Word of the Lord." 
The Lord told him to go to the brook Kareth, but I think the Lord could have told him to go anywhere, and Elijah would have went. Elijah was a man that had a keen understanding of the presence of God in his life. Did you notice what he said to Ahab in verse number 1? He says, "...as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand." Now, here he is standing in the king's palace. But he doesn't say anything about Ahab's palace. He says, "...I'm standing before the Lord God of Israel." This is a man that understood that God walked with him. This is a man that understood what it was to live by the Word of God. As a prophet of God, he literally waited day in and day out for the Lord to speak from heaven and to give him direction. This is not a man that is a rebel. This is not a man that is a reprobate. But this is a man that's living his life according to the tenets and teachings and principles of the Word of God. And yet we find that the brook still dries up. Can I tell you something? There's times when as you're living your life and living it according to the Word of God, you're still going to have problems. We were talking this morning, me and Brother Charlie were, about home. And I guess it was Brother Charlie. I don't know. I might be wrong. I, I talk to Brother Charlie a lot, but I have no idea really, to be honest with you. Who I, everything's a blur. I ate Cracker Barrel this afternoon. I'm lucky to be alive right now. Amen. If you eat Cracker Barrel the way I eat Cracker Barrel, you know what I'm talking about. But I was talking to somebody about... Uh, the feeling of, of homesickness that sometimes we experience. And, uh, you know, when, when I was uh, living in, in the old house, the, our first house, uh, you know, I loved it. I mean, it was home. But we always had in our mind we were going to sell the place and, and buy a new house. Most of you, if you've been around here any time, you know we just bought a house. And one of the things that, that I noticed immediately when I moved into this new house, now we're, we're planning on dying in this house, amen? And we don't, I hate moving so bad. That ought to tell you how much I love you, Gary. The fact that I would be willing, possibly, maybe, if my Saturday's clear and if nothing comes up, see, I gotta protect myself, to come and help you move on Saturday. I hate moving, and I'll die in this house, I mean, if I have my way. And when we got in this house, man, there was just a feeling of being home. Just being home. We knew it didn't matter what we did. I mean, if we want to paint the living room purple, we'll paint the living room purple. We ain't gotta worry about selling it. It's ours. It's home. You understand? It's home. You know that this world is not our home. It's not our home. When you turn on the TV and all the craziness, I mean, every time you turn on the TV, somebody's shooting up someplace, something's going on, somebody's offended, somebody, I mean, there's always something going on, always something happening. We live in a sin-sick world, and it's a world full of problems. Let me tell you something. Whether you live for God or don't live for God, understand you're still going to have troubles and trials and difficulty and problems. I believe I'd rather face my troubles with the Lord than without the Lord. But Elijah is a man that's living according to the Word of God. He is led by the Word of God. This is not a man that is living in open sin. This is not a man that has cast aside the Word of God. And yet it's the brook that he's drinking at that dries up. You say, well, of course it dried up. Preacher, everything dried up. Well, not everything was promised of God to sustain the prophet, but this brook had been. This was a man that was led by the Word of God. Let me say, number two, that this is a man that was living in the will of God. You know that God has a will for your life and for mine. I believe the greatest thing that we can do, and I I, I want everybody to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The greatest thing you can aspire to is to find the will of God and do it. That's the greatest thing you can aspire to. Now, if that means riding on Air Force One and leading our country, God bless you. If that means scrubbing toilets, that'll be the happiest place for you. If you can find the will of God and do it, that's the greatest. That's what success is really defined by for the Christian, is finding the will of God and doing it. 
Elijah was in the will of God. You know one of the first things we begin to think when the brooks start drying up? We begin to think, well, man, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? How did I wind up by a brook that dried up? How did I wind up in this situation? What happened? When did God forsake me? Elijah was a man, he knew he was in the will of God. God said, go to the brook, careth Elijah, and stay there. And so there he was, living in the will of God. Do you know that even if you're going to the right church, if you're married to the right person, if you're living in the right home, if you're working the right job, you're still going to have trials and troubles. It's just intrinsic to the human experience. And God is trying to do something in our lives if we'll let Him. And so we need to accept that. We see that He was living in the will of God. But let me say that not only was He led by the Word of God and living in the will of God, but He was looking to the wealth of God to sustain Him. God did something unusual. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't know how okay with this I would be. We live in a world that has been raised on hand sanitizer. Am I right? We can't, I mean, some of you, if we grew up the way you grew up, we'd be dead within a week, you know? And uh, that's one of the problems with young people today. That's why they're, you know, kids are just so weird. They don't know what germs are. They never experienced germs. And, man, I don't know if I could handle this. You know what God did? God said to Elijah, Elijah, you go to that brook, and that'll provide you water, but you're going to need food to eat. So he says, I'm going to send the ravens twice a day to bring you meat and to bring you bread and to bring you things to sustain you. Man, I mean, I don't know if that's meals on wheels or meals on wings, but God did it. You know, this was a man, Elijah literally knew what it was to look to the hand of God to provide for him. You know our problem in this country? We've got a lot of them, but you know what one of them is? We can't survive prosperity. We can't handle it. I I mean, people have a, a choice of whether they want their lights on or they want their cell phone and they choose the cell phone. We just, we can't, and you know why? Because we know eventually somebody's going to come along and pay the light bill, right? We just, we live in a world, we can't stand, we can't handle prosperity. I'm not suggesting we all get poor, I'm just saying we don't do so well with the money we got. Most of us don't know what it is to really look to the hand of God to feed us. You can imagine as Elijah went from day to day, and he, he grew accustomed, I'm sure. I don't know what direction they came from, but if... You know, just with God doing it, I would imagine they always came from the same direction. I don't know why. That just makes sense to me. But probably Elijah got used to at a certain time every day just watching and waiting for those ravens to come across the tree line and to bring him something to eat. Day in and day out, he depended wholly on God for God to provide for him. And you know what? The brook still dried up. Still dried up. This is a man that knew what it was to wait on God. This was a man that knew what it was to know where his blessings were coming from. You know, that's one of the great tragedies in our culture, is God blesses us all the time, but we just don't acknowledge He's the one blessing us. We just don't see it. We just don't admit it. We just don't acknowledge it. Man, the whole reason you're here tonight is because God allowed you to be here tonight. I I go a step further and say the whole reason you're here tonight is because God made a way for you to be here tonight. We've got to drive from out there in Quarantine. It takes about 25 minutes. And trust me, if you saw the way people drive out there just a few miles away, you'd know that God didn't just allow. He made a way. You ever stopped and thought about the only thing separating you uh, from certain death is a double yellow line and the common sense of the person in the other lane? God made a way for you to be here tonight. God made a way for your belly to be full. God made a way for you to have a roof over your head. God provided those things. 
He didn't just allow you to provide them. He provided them for you. And Elijah understands that. He knows that God has done this. And so he's living in accordance. We see the prophet's obedience. But I want you to notice, secondly, the prophet's obstacle. Sure enough, trouble comes. We see, first off, the drought that was afflicting the land and the drying up of the brook. Now, that brook wouldn't mean a lot to most folks, but if that's the only water there is to drink, it means something. And sometimes, you know, we try to keep that in mind with our church camp. As, you know, our church camp is 35 bucks. I mean, now, 35 bucks, that's not much. Some of you, you spent more than that going out to eat today. But it's a lot if you don't have it. And so we try to make a way for young people. And some of the people in our church are so good to give and, and to contribute to that every year to try to make a way. It don't seem like much until it ain't there. Uh, there's people in this room that $20 would make the difference between now and the next paycheck. There's people in this room that if they dropped a $20 bill out of their wallet, they wouldn't even notice it. There's other people in this room that $20 literally could get them through the week. And yet we find that that brook dries up. You know, sometimes, and and I'm trying to just pray and trust the Lord with how to say this, right? Sometimes God has a way of playing chicken with us and testing our faith. You understand that? Listen, God says, I'll provide for you. And we say, I trust you, Lord. And sometimes we'll have to prove that trust as he allows things to get a little tight and a little lean. Elijah had been promised of God that this brook would sustain him. And so, you know, I'm sure not only the drought, but I'm sure the doubt that he probably dealt with. I wonder some of the things Elijah may have wondered. We have to read into the text to gather this, but I think as we understand the human heart and the human experience, I think there is a degree to which we can do that. And I know that if it had been me sitting by that brook, if it had been me waiting for the ravens to come, I probably would have thought, God, did you forget about me? Did you forget about me? I might have wondered if God was done with my life. I might have wondered if maybe there was some misstep I had taken, but no, we find that none of that is true. But that doesn't stop doubt just the same. Doubt is an intrinsic quality of the sin-fallen flesh. The sin-sick flesh seeks to see everything and to believe nothing. And understand that sometimes in those moments, that's the crisis point. That's the decision point. That's the moment where you have to choose whether you trust you or you trust God. And the decision has to be made. I'm sure that maybe he suffered some of those thoughts and feelings of doubt. One thing we are keenly aware of in Elijah's uh, story and his narrative in the Word of God is that he is human, deeply human. Insomuch that the Bible even goes on in the book of James to stress that human side of him by saying, he was of like passions as we are. So no doubt if you put yourself by that brook and watch it as the water slowly uh, trickles away and as no more comes down the hill. And you imagine the discouragement that you must have felt. I'd say Elijah probably endured some of those things too. He probably, can I put it very simply, he probably wondered what was going on. You ever wonder what God's doing? I mean, genuinely wonder. Let me tell you something. You may have God figured out. You may have Him packed into a box with a nice neat little bow on it but I just can't figure him out. I'm thankful I can't. He wouldn't be much of a God if I could. But understand that you'll never totally understand the things that God does. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. 
You'll never totally have God figured out until one of these days when this vile body is made like unto His glorious body. As the songwriters used to say, we'll understand it better by and by. But as long as we're in this life, there's always going to be questions. There's always going to be doubts. There's always going to be discouragement. Let me tell you something. Doubt does not hinder us from having faith. Doubt and faith are two mutually exclusive things. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because the man with the daughter that had fallen sick said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Those are two separate ideals, doubt and faith. And just because you have doubts, that doesn't mean that you can't exercise faith. Just because you have questions, that doesn't mean you can't look to God for answers. And it's perfectly human to have questions, but it's sublimely divine to trust God for the answers. We see the drought and the doubt and the discouragement that he must have dealt with. But then notice this, and I'm done. I know you don't believe that, but I'm telling the truth. We see in this passage the prophet's obedience and the prophet's obstacles. But we find the prophet's opportunity as we come to the close of these nine verses. You know, every obstacle in the believer's life is just an opportunity to exercise faith. Every problem we run into is just an opportunity to trust God with another problem. In some ways, we ought to thank God for our problems. If we didn't have no problems, we'd have no reason to trust God. But as problems approach us, it gives us more and more opportunity to trust Him. And I see that in this passage. The Bible says that the voice of the Lord came unto him again, saying, Aren't you thankful that when it was time for him to hear from heaven, heaven spoke? Aren't you glad in the midst of all of his questions, God had answers? And he did not explain to Elijah why the brook dried up. He just told him where to go next. He didn't explain to him or give, give any kind of excuses as to why he did what he did. Because he doesn't have to. He's God. But when it was time for Elijah to move, God told him where to move to. And he says, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. We learn three things that he had the opportunity to do. Number one, he had the opportunity to walk by faith. Now, I can sort of imagine what it may have been like for him. I can sort of imagine that maybe there was a part of his flesh that welled up and said, Yeah, go to Zarephath like you went to the brook Kareth. I know that's what my flesh would have said. My flesh would have probably said, Go to Zarephath, a widow woman there to sustain me. There's a famine, Lord. There's no one has anything right now. The only reason I've survived as long as I've survived is because you hid me away and provided for me miraculously. But you're telling me that this Gentile woman down in Zarephath, that is a widow woman, has uh, the bread enough to feed not only herself but me. And so he had a choice to make. Will he trust God again? Will he trust God again? He had this opportunity to walk by faith. You know what happens when things get tough? You have an opportunity to trust God with those circumstances. You see, at this point it looks like God is messed up. But by the time you come to the end of chapter 17, you know what you find? You find that God just kept working and just kept working. And Elijah has the opportunity now to walk by faith. I think he had not only the opportunity to walk by faith, but I think he had the opportunity to witness great things if he would trust God. Now, you and I, we have the benefit of reading a little further in the chapter, don't we? 
Elijah couldn't do that. He couldn't hit a fast forward button. He couldn't turn the page and see how things were going to turn out. But now as we look backwards through history and through Scripture, we see that he saw God do something miraculous. Now what if he had never went to Zarephath? If he had never went there, for one thing, that widow woman would have been dead. Her son would have been dead. Elijah would have been dead. Let me tell you something. The alternative to trusting God is much worse than whatever you think the cost is to trusting God. The alternative to serving God is much worse, no matter what you think it's costing you to serve. You say, preacher, I can't serve God. I can't afford to give that much. Or preacher, I can't afford to be there that much. Or preacher, I can't afford to do that much. Or preacher, I'll, I'll lose all my friends and, and, and I'll make things awkward with my coworkers if I start witnessing that much. Let me tell you something. Whatever the cost you perceive it to be, the alternative is worse. Disobedience to God is worse. It's always worse. So he goes to Zarephath. Most of you, you're familiar with the story, how that the oil did not diminish and how that the, the, the meal, how that the, uh, the materials for baking that bread, it did not diminish and how that God supplied them throughout that famine uh, miraculously by faith. And he would have never seen that if he hadn't trusted God with his present circumstance. You know, part of the reason that... And I want to be careful with how I say this. I'm not advocating recklessness in anything that we do. But part of the season, the reason that we don't see God do bigger things is we're too busy trying to work it out for ourselves instead of just waiting on God and watching God move and work. You'd be amazed. I think one of these days, I don't know if God will let us understand and know these things, but if He will, I think you'd be amazed the times when God was waiting in the shadows to move and work mightily. All the while, you were breaking a sweat and breaking your back, digging ditches, trying to do it your own way. And God was trying to do something, and you wouldn't get out of the way to let Him do it. The Bible says the nation of Israel in the book of Psalms that they limited the Holy One of Israel. In other words, they didn't stop him entirely. He still moved. He still worked. But they limited him. You know, I think one of the instances of that... Stay with me. Stay with me. You remember when they came to the Red Sea? Now, what was God's command? God's command was, I want you to follow that cloud out in front of you. When the cloud goes, you go. Don't stop. Just keep going. They come to the edge of the Red Sea, and they stopped. Now, you believe what you want to. Moses told them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You believe what you want to. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe if they had went ahead and stepped out in faith, they would have walked like Peter did upon the water with their eyes focused on the cloud in front of them. I think God told them to keep going. And if they had kept going, they would have seen God do even bigger things than He did. Let me tell you something. God wants to do so many things in our life. If we'll just take our hands off of it and let God do it, He'll do it way better than we ever could. He had the opportunity to witness God do great things. And then finally, and I'm done, I want to say He had the opportunity to work in the lives of others. You know, I don't know what... Maybe God would have figured out a way to sustain Elijah. I don't know. But I know this that his obedience to God meant life and death in the life of that widow woman. Later on in the chapter, we find that that widow woman's son dies, and Elijah raises her son from the dead. And it's at that point that she says that, that the Lord God of Israel, that what he speaks is truth. 
The Bible echoes this truth and the impact of it in the New Testament. Christ says that there were many Gentiles in that day and many widow women, but God sent Elijah to that widow woman inside. And it changed her life forever. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when we get so busy and get ahead of God, we we not only stop God from working in our lives, sometimes we stop Him from working in the lives of others. Let, Let me just close with this statement, and I'm done. I'm very glad that in a lot of situations God didn't let me have my way because my way would have made a mess of things. I can see that now as I look backwards and I see the choices I've made in life. I see the choices I've made that have made a mess. I see the choices that God made that made a miracle. I look back and I don't understand everything that has happened, but I do understand this. That every door, that for every door that God shut, He opened another one. And that for every obstacle I faced, I found an opportunity. I didn't always take the opportunity. I'll be honest with you, there's times I dropped the ball. There's times I messed up. There's times that I approached it in my flesh and I did the wrong thing. But now as I look backwards, I can see in all of those obstacles a way that God could have gotten glory if I would have just trusted Him. Some of you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, Preacher, it looks like God has failed me. He made promises. He told me He'd sustain me, that He'd provide for me, that He'd give me more than I asked, that He that He would do great and mighty things in my life. And it doesn't feel like God's doing that right now. I know where you're at. I know how you feel. I've been there too. But let me tell you something. God has a perfect track record, and He's not going to throw it away on you. God's never been unfaithful to anyone, and He's not going to start in your life. And you may not be able to see it, and you may not be able to figure it, All that you can see right now is the brook drying up, and it doesn't make sense to you. But go ahead and hang on a little longer, because God sees a widow woman in Zarephath and a miracle on its way. You see, when God seems like He's failed, that's opportunities for our faith, because God never fails. And sometimes we have to trust the character of God rather than the circumstances of our life and trust Him to do that which we cannot do ourselves our heads bowed with our eyes closed. As the musician slips to the piano, I I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But I know that He wants to meet with you tonight. And He wants you to surrender to Him. And He wants to give you comfort and give you strength tonight if you'll come to Him.